Tonight, we are going to look at being financially healthy. We look to the Bible for a lot of things, a lot of different areas in our life. Salvation, marriage, how to raise children, how to love, how to forgive, how to conduct ourselves. And I'm consistently amazed and astounded by the depth of the word and the teaching that comes through here every Wednesday night, especially this last series that Pastor did. I'm just, I'm blown away. It's been amazing. But the next few weeks, we're going to focus on being financially healthy. There are a lot of people who struggle day to day in that area. But the great thing is, just like all those other areas that I mentioned, God didn't leave us without instruction about our finances. Tonight's definitely not going to be all-inclusive. I can't shove everything into one night. But I am going to try to do my best to bring some principles that will touch the typical family or different family situations. If you want more in-depth help, uh, let's talk after service. I'm willing to talk with people and help. We also host financial peace classes occasionally, and we have life groups on Wednesday nights when those are in session that focus on finances. So please take advantage of all of those resources. I'm going to give some disclaimers. Number one, I'm not going to come up here and start blasting Dave Ramsey quotes. Um, but I will admit there is some stuff in here. I listen to his YouTube channel and his podcast on a regular basis. It's just kind of baked in. He has great advice based on biblical principles and common sense. So I'll, I'll talk about a little bit of those. I'll also warn you that I'm passionate about this. I have a lot of opinions about this topic. So um, if I come off strong sometimes, just know that uh, it's just it's just because I'm passionate. And I want to see the people of God prosper in the area of finances. If, uh, if we could get our finances right, if 100% of the people who attend here, come here on a weekly basis, can get our finances right, can give our 10%, there's no telling what the reach and the impact could be across the world, our community. We, wouldn't, we would have no need of a building fund if we can get this right. So we're, we're reaching for it. Pastors taught us to have a healthy church. We need healthy families. This includes spiritual, physical, emotional, and financial health. It's a fact. The fact is that it's hard to focus on the work of God or the kingdom of God when we have our own needs that we're dealing with. They're right before us. They're in our face. If we have something physical going on, that's what we focus on. If we have something going on emotionally, that's what we focus on. If we're constantly battling and dealing with finances, that's what we're focusing on. And so it's hard to see past those things and to focus on doing the work of God and supporting the work of God. There's a book by Rabbi Daniel Lappin, who's an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, and in the book he explains the Havdalah. It's an ancient ceremony that Jewish families perform to prepare for the work week. It's recited over a cup of wine or grape juice that runs over into a saucer, and it symbolizes their wealth and how they intend to use it. First, they fill the cup, providing for their own needs, and then they keep pouring until the cup overflows, and they have plenty to give to others. We provide first for our own household, 1 Timothy 5 and 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially those for his own house, he's denied the faith. And then our cup runs over so that we can bless others and support the work of God. But what if our cup's too big? 
What if no matter how, cup our, how big our cup is, there's never enough? Every time the cup gets close to overflowing, we go get a bigger cup instead of letting it overflow. So some of us may need to pour more, and some of us just may need a smaller cup. We put our trust in God, not wealth. So I want to get this out of the way because none of what I say tonight means that we do not put our trust in God for providing our needs or our blessings. But that does not in any way take ownership off of us to handle our finances properly. We acknowledge we wouldn't be able to have anything without God. Deuteronomy 8 and 18. You shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. We put our trust in God to provide, but God provides it through our labor. And the reason God gives you the ability to work is because work is part of the plan for mankind. Money comes from work. Proverbs 14.23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk only leads to poverty. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3.10-12, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. For such persons, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. There's an old saying, there's a good place to go when you need money. Work. We put our trust in God to provide, and God provides through other people. Luke 6.38 says, Give and it shall be given. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. Israel left Egypt and took their gold. Exodus 12 and 35. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So here has been my prayer since I started serving God on my job. Lord, I pray that you give me favor in the sight of my superiors. I care about my peers. I want them to, to have a, I want to have a good reputation. But I want God to give me favor in the sight of those who control my paycheck. So God gives us ability and favor. If you get a raise or a new contract, increased business, just know it may look like you planned everything right, you showed up, you did the work, you're a great employee. But we give glory to God for the ability to do that. And it was God who provided the favor. So I'm thankful for the promise, given it shall be given. But it's not just going to fall out of the sky. The Bible says men will give it to you. Just recognize where it really came from when that happens. When you hear about biblical finance, you typically hear this word, steward. The reason is because the word steward means manager. A manager is someone who's given the responsibility to take care of someone else's stuff. The steward doesn't own it, they just manage it. So we see that in the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. The owner sees the faithfulness of the steward and says, You've been faithful over a few things, I'm going to give you rule over many. And there it is, without interpretation, without debate. If you manage well what God has allowed to have, allowed you to have in your hand, then God will trust you with more. And the opposite is true as well. Those who don't manage money well cannot be trusted to manage more. So here's the question. 
Maybe the first rough question. Are you being a good steward of what God has given you to manage? Which one are you in the parable? Are you diligent to look what's in your hands after what's in your hands? If you were hired to manage your own money, would you fire yourself? (laughs) The problem with that question is you can't. It's your responsibility. You, You can't be fired. Personal responsibility is biblical. Who's going to fix your finances if you don't? Is your, uh, is your retirement plan, your financial plan based on Titus 2.13? Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ? We're just waiting for the rapture. That'd be great. Lord, just come. And then I want to worry about it at all. Proverbs 13 and 16 says, A wise man thinks ahead. A fool doesn't and even brags about it. When I read that verse, I instantly thought of someone. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I don't think they're here, and I don't think they're watching, so we're good. Um, have you ever heard one say, someone say, like, everyone in my family dies at 50, so I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about putting away retirement. I might as well just enjoy it now. Live it up. That's what I think of when I hear that. Luke 14 and 28, Jesus is talking Suppose of you, one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? We could probably read these things and think, oh, these don't apply to money. Suppose one of you wants to buy a car. Won't you first? No. no. Suppose one of you wants to go on vacation. Won't you first? Nah. Suppose one of you wants a nice sweater. Won't you first? This is where pastor usually says, are we doing all right? (laughs) But (laughs) I'll just tell a joke. I've got a joke scripted right here. Are you ready? After years of putting money into a savings account, a wife tells her stay-at-home husband the good news. Honey, we finally got enough money to buy what we started saving for in 1979. Her husband blushes with giddy excitement and says, finally a brand new Cadillac. He says... No, says the wife, a 1979 Cadillac. (laughs) So let's look on to a small statement that Jesus makes that could easily be overlooked in John chapter 6. Jesus just multiplied the fish and the bread. Everyone's full after they've eaten. The miracle happened. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 12, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. So the same God who can perform miracles, who can provide, multiplied what the little boy had, the same guy that can supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, says, do not waste what I've already provided for you. So you mean even with enough faith to know that he can open the windows of heaven, I still have to pick up the leftovers, the little things? Isn't there enough of his provision that I can just leave this and look for the next blessing and the next miracle? Do I really have to be intentional with the small stuff? There's so much instruction when it comes to money, especially in Proverbs. When I come to to something that has to deal with money in Proverbs in my Bible app, I highlight it in a bright green. So you scroll through, it's always bright green. So one of those verses is the wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs 27, 23. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. What's the modern day flock? Your bank account, 
your 401k, your assets. I read it like that, like this. Know well the condition of your finances. Are they healthy? Are they sick? Are they hobbling? Do they need attention? Some intervention maybe? So here's my practical application here. A lot, hopefully I can get some practical application in here. Um, maybe my nerdy take on this verse, if I could say that. This verse to me says, do you know your net worth? Now I'm starting off maybe a little big there. And some of you know what that is. Some of you don't. I'm going to go through that. And net worth is one of the most important financial indicators that you can have. Not your credit score. Your credit score is an indication of how good you are at handling debt. Not how good you are at handling money. How good you are at handling payments. Not handling money. There's a difference. Your net worth is a number that I calculate about once a year. Kind of like, to me, it's kind of like stepping on a scale and saying, okay, let me have it. Oh, what is it? An honest look. Net worth is simply what you own minus what you owe. Assets minus liabilities. If that number is a negative number, I'm sorry, you're broke. It doesn't matter how much you make, 20000 a year, 200000 a year. So we'll, let's walk through a couple examples here. The first example, Fred and Wilma, they make $50,000 a year. They have student loans totaling $30,000, $4,000 in credit card debt, two car payments with a debt of $35,000, and a mortgage balance of $143,000. So, so student loans are $30,000. There you go. All of that goes against your net worth. Credit card debt, four thousand, goes against your net worth. Cars are twenty-five thousand, um, but they're negative ten thousand of them. The car value is only twenty-five thousand, but they owe thirty-five, so they're underwater. There, it's a depreciating asset. The house, they still owe one hundred and forty-three thousand, but it's worth one hundred fifty thousand, so they have seven thousand in equity. The house is an appreciating asset; they have no savings. So Fred and Wilma have a total net worth of negative $37,000. This means that although Fred and Wilma are driving some decent cars and they have a house, they're broke. Fred's the guy who has a good job but still has trouble paying the bills on time. Small claims court judge says, can't you live within your income? And Fred replies, no, your honor, it's all I can do to live within my credit. (laughs) Scenario two, Barney and Betty. Barney and Betty make $70,000 household income. Barney went to a trade school and paid cash. Betty stays home with the kids. They have no credit card debt. They have a decent family car, and he has an older truck with no payments. Current value of both is $30,000. They have a mortgage on a $200,000 house, which they owe $145,000. They have $5,000 in the bank for savings. Barney and Betty have a net worth of $90,000, 55K in the house, 30, car, 30 in cars, and five in savings. One major factor between these two is that Barney and Betty have a good chunk of their money in appreciating assets in their house. And Fred and Wilma are upside down on cars and they're depreciating assets. So if you don't know what those are, we'll get appreciating assets are things that go up in value over time. And depreciating assets are things that go down in value over time. When you have a car payment, you're almost always chasing the value of the car. 
This is where the term underwater comes from. You owe more on the asset than the asset is actually worth. Insurance companies, car dealerships love this. Uh, If there are car salesmen in here, I'm sorry. Um, I'll try not to say too much. Gap insurance is something sold so that if you wreck your car and you're underwater on it, they'll pay the difference between the value of the car and what you owe on it. And so this is my first challenge is to challenge our thinking a little bit because a lot of people think, oh, that's that's great. And it may sound great if you always plan on owing more than your car is worth. But even though that's an accepted fact in a lot of cases, I want to challenge the mindset that it does not have to be that way. I understand that different people grow up with different backgrounds and some have been taught by their parents well or not. One way or the other, you have learned by your upbringing how to handle or not handle money. So it's a skill that you have to, to work, to develop. If you don't have that, you have to work on it. It's like a friend of mine who grew up in a house where they had unhealthy eating habits. And he started college, and he was overweight, and he looked up, and he said, you know, I've lived here, my parents eat bad, I've got to get out of here. This is just a bad environment. And he moved out, and he lost 150 pounds after he moved out. I sound like I'm a robot. Is it good now? Yeah, all right. So he decided he wasn't going to just go with the flow. He wasn't just going to keep living there. He said, well, what do I need to do? So he went and he hired a trainer. A trainer explained to him what he needed to do. And then he started taking responsibility for his own stuff. So there are some things that are outside of your control. You can complain about the way the economy is or inflation or things. But there are things that you can control. You don't have to accept uh, everything what's been handed to you, you can decide to control what you can control. And when I was thinking about that, I went back to Pastor's sermon, The Command of You, in October of 2020. And he said it wasn't the devil that forced Eve to sin. It wasn't Eve that forced Adam to sin. It wasn't Samuel's slow pace that made Saul put on the priestly robe. They did what they wanted to do. And this is the principal truth of our lives. We do what we want to do. Nothing more and nothing less. So what do you want to do? What are the things that are in your control? Can you go to, go to work on time? Show up? Do a good job? Can you put in some extra hours to make some overtime money? Can you st- take some time away in your week from media or whatever it is to work on your budget? These are things that are in, in control, in our control. I love how the scripture gives us an example of a godly man who was a great steward and because of that he saved countless lives his name is Joseph he interprets Pharaoh's dream there's going to be seven years of plenty there's going to be seven years of famine Pharaoh sets Joseph up he handles it all Joseph sets the rules for how people need to save and how they can survive the famine that means Joseph planned he tracked he was intentional so I thought of the question What if Joseph decides not to do that? What if instead of putting restraints on himself and everyone else, he said, you know what? Let's just have a great seven years. We're going to have plenty of stuff. And when it runs out, I guess we'll just die. What if he doesn't fulfill that? But Joseph looks 
14 years into the future to do these calculations. He has to look at seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine and everything has to last. He's looking 14 years into the future. He's not looking at today, this month, next month. He's looking to the future. So here's the principle. One of the story. There won't always be excess. Proverbs 30, 24, 25. Four things on earth are small, yet they're extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up food in the summer. There's coming a time when you can't work. Maybe the conditions aren't favorable for a season, like the ant, or maybe age will restrict you. But if you don't restrain yourself now, what will you do when you're unable to have the excess or to work at all? Here's the other principle. You reap what you sow. If you sow a little, you reap a little. Joseph was reaping the harvest of what was sown during the years of plenty. So let's talk about something that I think stresses people out. And that's margin. A lack of margin, more specifically, in our finances. Proverbs 21 and 20 says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. King James says, There is treasure to be desired, and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. I could ask another question here. I will not. Margin brings peace in your life. It puts a cushion between life and you. There are a few areas that I think of when I'm thinking of margin. Specifically, first, your giving. Emergency funds. Some people call that savings. There is a little distinction. We'll talk about it. And then your budget. So I'll give one line for giving here. We're going to talk about giving in a couple weeks, so I won't stay here. But what if God laid it on your heart to give a $1,000 offering? Do you have the margin to be able to give it? The second area is an emergency fund. That is money that is specifically set aside for the purpose of an unplanned event, something you do not expect. It takes what could be a crisis, and it makes it just an inconvenience. It's bad enough to have something go wrong, right? We have a tire go out or something. But it's even worse to have that same thing turn into a financial issue as well. According to a report from Bankrate, nearly 6 in 10 Americans don't have enough savings to cover a $500 or $1,000 unplanned expense. Only 41% of adults report having enough in their savings to cover a surprise bill of this magnitude. A little more than 20% said, put it on a credit card. And then 20% said they would cut their spending. And 11% said they would turn to friends or family financial assistance, which is always a great idea. Borrow money from family is a great idea. I'm being sarcastic. Let's name some things and you categorize them in your mind. Based on your situation, would this be a crisis or an inconvenience? A flat tire. HVAC. Microphone goes out. Washer breaks down. Refrigerator goes out. You have to pay $500 deductible. I don't know why those deer keep jumping in front of you. Somebody should take down the deer crossing signs. But they do. The dog gets sick. Needs antibiotics. Needs something. 
think of an emergency fund as a credit card where you, where you don't pay the bank interest. I try to think of things in the opposite way. So it's your money set aside in a separate account so you don't spend it when Christmas unexpectedly comes in December this year. The baby steps of Ramsey talk about the emergency fund twice. In Step one, save $1,000 in a starter emergency fund, $500 if you make less than $20,000 a year. And step, step three, save three to six months of expenses. This is a great guideline to strive for. Imagine having, just imagine if you can, of you having three months of your bills sitting in your bank account, how that would feel. So let's look at some things. I'm going to talk about some things that deplete your spending power. Debt is a thief. You knew that was coming, right? It steals from your future. How do you think those banks build those massive buildings and support all those stadiums? That is your money. That's your money. Here's the practical problem with debt. You're struggling. You need money. You charge something. Now you have debt. Five years from now or the future you, now whatever they're dealing with in their current time and situation, not only do they have to deal with that, but they also have to deal with what the past you put on them. Interest is money that you pay so you don't have to wait until the full amount to purchase something. You have the full amount to purchase something. It does not go toward the value of what you're buying at all. So do yourself a favor. Maybe have a good cry session and go look at your your statements and find out how much per month you're paying in interest, especially on depreciating assets. What could you do with that extra money? I bet we could probably find that mission partnering that we were looking for, that money we're trying to support, a missionary on a monthly basis or something else. I'll go a little further in my challenge to the mindset that I talked about earlier about being underwater on a car and say that you don't have to have a car payment at all. You don't have to. You know where you learn that you do? From the culture. The culture that's been shaped by trillions of dollars of advertising from those banks You've been shaped by that, and you don't even know. Challenge your thinking. As a teenager, I have a 16-year-old son. We're talking about this. If you pay cash for your first car, and then you pay yourself a car payment into a savings account, you can save up a couple thousand, trade in a car, sell a car, upgrade. Save a couple more thousand, upgrade again. Keep doing that. If you're an adult, maybe you just got your car paid off, and everybody says, oh, I don't want a car payment anymore. Well, that car is going to break down, and you're going to have to replace it. So you have two choices. You can either save up the money while you don't have a car payment, keep paying yourself that car payment, or you can do nothing. You can keep using that, put it in your lifestyle, buy some nice stuff, and then when your car breaks down, you're paying interest again. Interest steals your paycheck. So um, here, if that wasn't strong enough... <laughs> Here's a little bit more. You can't spiritualize debt. It's not something that you can say, I'm in debt because of a spiritual practice. Poor money management is not a spiritual practice. The Bible does not say anything positive about debt. All that stuff you bought with a credit card, it was not a blessing from God. And here's how I know. Proverbs 10 and 22. 
The blessing of the Lord, it makes rich, and it adds no sorrow with it. That monthly payment, that's sorrow. That wasn't a blessing. Proverbs 22 and 7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Is it God's will for his people to be in bondage? Okay, back on topic. So we're talking about things that steal your paycheck and negatively impact your finances. There are quite a few avenues (laughs) where you can get something now and pay for it in installments. I'm not going to name them. I don't think anybody has tomatoes, but I'm not going to name them because I know you use them. What these companies do is convince you to spend money on things that you really can't afford. And the reason it's so appealing is because you can have what you want right now. You don't feel the weight of the financial transaction because it's split into four easy payments. The problem here is the excitement and the newness of that shirt or those boots or things that you bought. That's all done before you even get done making the payments. Uh, One time a child of mine told him I would not say his name. I wanted two pair of shoes, and Dad only buys one. So he had half the money for the second pair. They were expensive. So he decided to borrow the rest from Grandma. A couple weeks later, he's playing basketball. He's wearing these shoes. He scratches the top of them. $150 pair of shoes across the pavement. Now he still owes $75 on them, and they're ruined. And I hope he remembers that lesson as much as I do. These same things, around these same things, we're looking at things like subscriptions, streaming subscriptions. If you only use two and you have five, or if you have a gym membership that you only use in January. I know nobody does that. But it's worth taking a look to see if there's some areas like that. Things that that hurt us, eating out. Uh, This was bad for me, but inflation's made this way worse. The last two years, it's been way worse. Soda is now over $3 at a restaurant. The average cost of a meal in a restaurant is $13, but eating at home averages $4 per serving. Comparison, discontentment. Social media has increased the visibility into the lives of everybody around us. We can see all their beautiful vacations and wonderful weekends and all the facade that people put out, and we compare ourselves. So we're discontented about what we did. I heard a story about a lady who went on vacation. She got back from vacation. It was a nice Disney vacation. And she got on social media, and she saw that one of her friends had just went to France. And now she was completely upset that she didn't get to go to France. She went to Disney. It's crazy how discontented we are. And this alone, discontentment, may cost us more money than any other thing. Addictions, Proverbs twenty one seventeen. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. American addiction centers say that nicotine addictions cost an estimated $4,628 over five years and $23,000 over 25 years. The study compared that what the money could have gone to instead, a down payment toward a median-priced home, an average-priced car or tuition towards a bachelor's degree. For a beer drinker, the money spent could amount to $14,000 over five years or $71,000 over 25 years. For liquor, 
Abusers can sink $28,000 over five years and $140,000 over 25 years. The addict and often his or her spouse will be in denial about what they spend on their addiction. And I, I didn't even put up the hard drug numbers because they are just astronomical. According to Bankrate, respondents who gamble and re- reported their annual income, adults between the ages of 55 and 73, we don't ever pick on this age group, right? They spend $2,900 per year on average. Ages 55 to 64 spend more than the older. They spend $3,900 a year. The pornography industry makes over $6 billion per year, and that's a low estimate. So here it is. Pastor Shock talks about the concept called the redemptive lift. So let me just say I'm willing to bet that by living for God, we save way more than 10% of our paycheck by not being engrossed in all that junk. When you get saved and God picks you up out of all of that, there's a redemptive lift that happens. Marriage problems. That'll make the room quiet. There are a couple directions that works with this. One's with what I'm talking about and one's kind of the opposite, but Oftentimes, if you have issues in your marriage, they will bleed into your money. I'm feeling neglected. I need to go. I need to do some retail therapy, make myself feel better, get some dopamine going. When you and your spouse disagree on how to handle money, it does affect your financial health. It's important for married couples to regularly discuss finances, agree on your dreams, savings, goals, spending money. Have agreed limits on what you're going to spend without consulting your spouse. On the other side of the coin, if your marriage is perfect, has no other problems other than money, money problems, money fights, is one of the leading causes of divorce in America. Children. And I know that sounds harsh. Give me a second. The teenager lost a contact lens while playing basketball in his driveway. After a brief, fruitless search, he gave up. He took, he, his mother took up the cause and within minutes found the lens. Anybody ever done this? How'd you do that? He asked. We weren't looking for the same thing, she explained. You were looking for a small piece of plastic. I was looking for $150. <laughs> so I'm not being harsh. Children are a blessing, but we have to teach them limits on their spending. We always did commission with our children. We had a chore chart, and they would check off what they did every day. If they did not do that chore, each chore had a 10 cents, 25 cents, whatever it was. I think the highest might have been a dollar. Um, and, and they checked it off. We'd pay them once a week on Friday. They could not borrow the money before Friday. Friday's when you get paid. Friday's when I get paid. That's what we're doing. You're not owing me. So when they reached a certain age, I was trying to teach them some stuff. And we talked about Coke being $3, soda being $3 at the restaurant. I wanted them to understand the value of that. So I doubled what they got paid for their chores. And I stopped paying for their drinks when we went out to eat. If you want anything other than water, you're welcome to buy it or not. You can save your money and you can buy a toy. You can do whatever you'd like. But I need you to understand how much those sodas cost. Now he's at the age where it's, oh man, I said heat. Mm. Teenagers like Starbucks and Smoothie King right now. So, um, But I, this one thing has probably saved me so much money. Um, another thing that we did is we, we did a, I guess you'd call it a 
ration. We gave $25 a month that the kids were allowed to do when we went to the grocery store. You can't throw just whatever you want in the cart. You have 25 bucks. At the end of that 25 bucks, there's no more popsicles. It's not, they're not, it's not going in. It's up to you. You can do whatever you want with it. You can buy whatever you want. $25 of candy would be a lot. Okay, anyway, um, one-click shopping. So Amazon boxes in the landfill may just usher in the return of Christ. I don't know. I'm, I'm kidding. Proverbs 13 and 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, it's a tree of life. To those who need some hope, I've got good news for you. It's never too late to start. The best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago, and the second best time is today. You may still have some consequences. That's the law of sowing and reaping. But no matter your income, you have 100% to work with. You don't get a pass on math. So let's get down to it. Finances are this simple. Live on less than you make. Class over. There are two factors in that equation, income and outgo, and both of those things, generally speaking, are in your control. If you can do basic addition and subtraction, you can do this, and I'll try to make this as painless as possible. We're going to walk through how to create a basic budget together right here. <laughs> I heard someone, yeah. I'm surprised that everybody didn't go crazy, but... Uh, so creating a budget. The word budget, and, and this is the reason. I, I have a few people in my life that I've talked to about this. The word budget invokes very different emotions depending on who you are, how you're raised, and how many times you heard that word in your house, right? Usually it's a fight. It's not on the budget. If you heard that, it, it's restrictive. That's all you heard. It's not on the budget. It's not on the budget. So I'm going to try to give a healthy definition of what a budget is. A budget is a spending plan. That's it. It's a spending plan that you get to make. You get to control. You're the boss. You are giving yourself permission to spend or not. It's completely up to you. It's just a plan. You get to decide with the money that you get, what do you want to do with it? You sit down and you be intentional about what you're doing. What This month, this is what we have coming in. What do we want to do with it? The only thing that restricts you is your income, of course. You have to live on less than you make. But you're the boss. The only time that the budget bosses you around is after you're done with it. You look at it, it's complete. You've agreed on it with your spouse and you say, it is good. And then you relinquish control to the budget. And sometimes changes come up. You have to move things around. So we'll talk about it. To do a proper budget, it should be a zero-based budget. That means income minus expenses and allocations equal zero. You're giving every dollar a job to do. To me, this is the gathering of the fragments that nothing be left. Your budget must be a written budget, whether it's digital or paper. It's got to be down, written down. So many people have told me uh, they do it in their head, and it's my opinion that that does not work well. I have helped people with their finances. I've helped people with fitness and losing weight. I tell them both the exact same thing. If you're not tracking your calories, you're lying to yourself about what you're eating. You know you didn't track that second tablespoon of ranch or that candy bar. You know you didn't do it. And if you're not doing a budget and reconciling it, you're likely lying to yourself about what you're really spending. 
We're humans. That's what we do. We make concessions for ourselves. We excuse ourselves. So a budget helps us to hold ourselves accountable to ourselves. I'll make a distinction here because there are different people in different places. If you have one month of expenses in the bank at all times or if you get paid monthly, then budgeting on a monthly basis is great. I use the Every Dollar app and I budget monthly. There are a lot of apps out there to do it. So we're going to walk through this. You're going to list your expected income for the month at the top. That's all sources of income that you're actually bringing home, your net income. Then you're going to list your giving next because giving comes first. It has to be a priority in our life. If you don't give it off the top, odds are it could very well just, oh, I, I, don't, I don't have that money anymore because you didn't give it. I challenge you to do it the day that you get paid. Do it that day and do it first. Everything else will fall into place. Then utilities and bills. Then you move on to your other items like gas for the car, groceries, eating out, sports, holiday, oil changes, boys' haircuts, discretionary spending, all of those things that come up. In my house, we have a discretionary for him and her so that we can buy things like fancy cups to drink out of, things like that. You don't have to have my approval to buy your fancy cup. Um, You just buy it with your money. Very similar to the grocery concept. And then you have a miscellaneous category. You always need a little buffer. There's always something that comes up. But the total of all that is zero. There's nothing that's just not allocated somewhere minus the buffer that I talked about. Every month is going to look different. You may go out to eat one month more than another. In February, there's a holiday there. Does anybody know what it is? So we add a little bit of more money there, right? We got to buy something. We got to, I guess it's flowers and dinner typically. I'm very bad at holidays. I don't know why I'm confessing this. For Thanksgiving, we know you're going to increase your grocery amount. Very rarely, two months the same. They're they're very rare. Every month is different. It is not a set and done forget. So at the end of the month, if you haven't used all the money, you've been tracking what you've been spending. Some people like to get cash out and do envelopes. Do you have this money left over? Oh, we didn't use all the pet category because the dog didn't eat as much or he didn't have to go to the vet this month. So you take that money and you do something else with it. You don't just not... You know, pretend it's not there. You either put it to your debt payments or maybe you put it in a giving fund or something to that effect, but you don't just leave it. For the first month, it might you might have to guess. You might have to look back. This is hard. First month is hard. You might have to look through your finances. How much gas have I been spending? How much gas has she been spending? How much? Nope. Nope. So uh, give yourself some grace the first couple months. I recommend to do uh, sinking funds. If you've, how many have heard of sinking funds? Praise God. Well, it's probably a term that is just fancy and, and people still do this. Um, sinking funds is a thing for like vacation and Christmas. It's just simply where you take uh, this big thing that you want to do that, that costs this much money and you divide it by the number of months between now and then or the number of paychecks between now and then and, and divvy it up. So if you budget $1,200 for Christmas, it's 12 months away, $100 a month, 
Now you have $1,200. Um, or vacation. You want to spend $2,000 on a vacation next summer. You've got 18 months. So I'm going to put back $111 a month. And now I have it. So I think of this as the opposite of a credit card. Typically what people do is do the thing and then I'll pay on it for the next 12 months, 18 months. This is the opposite. And you're doing it with no interest is the best part for me. You can also do a sinking fund for, for specific giving. Um, I've had talks about things that I wanted to do in giving. And sometimes I don't have it that month. But you can allocate and say, okay, I'm going to put this in my spontaneous giving. And, and I'm just going to sock that away every month. And, and then if God does call on me to give a $500 offering or whatever, I have some money set aside for the purpose. Or if somebody's dealing with something in the church, they need some money or whatever. You have that, that overflow. If you remember the cup, that you have the overflow to be able to provide for someone else. I usually pull the money out of the bank. I don't leave it in there. I pull the money out of the bank. I put it in an envelope. I put it in a safe so that I can't get to it, spend it on accident. If you... If you don't have a month's expenses in the bank, then I like to suggest that you go a little more granular than the budget. So we were talking about the budget. We went through seeking funds. And now, if you get paid weekly or biweekly, I recommend doing an allocated spending plan. And I'll quickly walk through the difference there. Instead of the listing the entire month income expenses, you're only going to list the income and expenses that occur during the specific pay period. I don't know if you... If you can see that very well, but um, so you put four to six weeks. I usually do this because you can kind of see what's coming up. Rent usually sometimes like you can't pay that out of one paycheck, so you see oh that big thing's coming up, and and I need to save up for that. So I'm going to save some here and some there, and and depending on when the holidays and things hit, you'll have to adjust. And then there's these two magical months where you get three paychecks. Everybody loves those, right? And then you blow that extra paycheck because you didn't have a plan for it. Well, this kind of thwarts that, which is good and bad, right? You don't get to spend it for just whatever, but um, it doesn't just disappear. So you can see different categories and weeks maybe here. The, there's one that has some expenses, grocery, clothing, so on. There's categories for housing, utilities, and then... We'll go to the next one. If it, there's a QR code on your, on your handout or on the screen. You can scan that, and it will give you a paper form of, of this allocated spending plan. And there's other financial forms on there as well. So that's there for you at your discretion. I also have a digital spreadsheet that I like to use. I'm, some people like paper. My brother really likes paper. I just like things to calculate for me. So... I like this because, because of that auto-calculation. I put in a number at the top, and it just auto-calculates for me. So there's a picture of my, my makeshift um, allocated spending plan. So you've got, like, March 22nd, April 5th. I get, this is a biweekly plan. So you have income at the top, bills, expenses in the middle, and then leftover. You see it, it calculates all of that, and then... Each, each category. So I do weeks at a time. Okay. For married couples, we always talk about in the financial peace classes that I've taught, there's the nerd and the free spirit. 
right? And one of you is one and one of you is the other. You review it together, but the nerd is usually the one who makes it. And then the, the free spirit reviews it. You talk about it. You change stuff. You agree on it. It helps you communicate in your marriage about what is important. What do you want to do with your money? So uh, for those who aren't married, you could have someone else review it, or you could just check it twice. Um, if I were starting out, I would say you'd devote maybe an hour per paycheck to this process, just starting out, then maybe 10 minutes a day per evening to just kind of see what did we spend a day, whatever, and, and see where you're at. This is where my app, the Every Dollar app, comes in handy because all the transactions are there through my bank. It's really nice. I just assign them. But after you get the concept, the time spent's a lot less. You might have to do, has any, there's a, a thing called habit, stabbing, habit stacking. It's in the book that James Clear wrote, Atomic Habits. And it's where you pair something that you don't really want to do to something that you really do want to do. So um, this is something usually that people don't want to do. So you stack that together with something like, I'm going to do the budget right before dinner every night. Because you know you want to eat. Or I'm not going to brush my teeth. I don't know why I've chose brush your teeth. But because what if you don't want to do that so you just skip brushing your teeth too? Anyway. Uh, maybe your nightly Wordle. Maybe right before you go to bed you play Wordle. And, and, and so you put your budget before Wordle. I can't play Wordle until I do my budget. Do, do things like that. Habit stacking is great. So um, we're going to look a little more at income and outgo. If you need more money, here's a couple things to consider. Don't waste the years of your strength. Work while it is day. If you're able-bodied, especially in the years before you have children, this is the time to put in the work while you have the strength and the time to do it. Proverbs 10 and 4, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. You can build your emergency fund, save up a huge down payment for a house, work overtime, and don't squander it. This is the trouble. And the problem is this. You never know a lesson until you've learned it. So one of my life's mottos is try to learn from other people's mistakes. You don't have to make every mistake. You can see other mistakes that people have dealt with, and you can say, I'm not going to do that. I can say that you won't get to an old age and be sad that your house is paid off and that you have money in the bank. If you can't get overtime on your job, consider a second job, even if temporarily, to get on your feet. A stable place. My wife and I both delivered Instacart for a couple of years. I know several people who do side gigs and DoorDash to make extra income. Consider continuing education, certificates, training courses, a lot of employers will pay for those, those people to better themselves. They want their employees to be better. They'll pay for those things. And here's a tip that I share with all my financial peace classes that I've led. Did you know that your tax check is not free money? It's not free money. It's money that the government has borrowed interest-free from you all year long. And then they give it back to you, and you're happy about it. So when we were younger, I, I, uh, we had three kids in the house. We would get back like a $6,000 tax check. And I was like, wow, $6,000. But the problem was that through the year, we were short month to month. 
Couldn't make ends meet, so what do you do? You put it on the credit card. So every time the tax check came in, I looked forward for it, forward to it so I could pay off the credit card year after year, not knowing that I had dropped hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars for my 16% interest credit card. And that's cheap nowadays. It's up to 25-something. So if you get a $6,000 tax check, here's how you can have $400 a month more in your paycheck. You can adjust your W-4 withholdings. You can get more money back in your paycheck. And then you can do what you want with it. Now, you don't get the free money every March or May. You get a lot less. Ours is a lot less now. But now, I'm not spending on the credit card, on the credit card just to get by and paying all of that interest. A lot of people can do this one thing and bring home the money that they need every month. So there's increase income and then there's decrease outgo. This is it. This is simple. If you've reached your highest income potential, there's only one thing left to do. You have to decrease your spending. If you are in serious financial stress and you don't have money for your food, housing, utilities, and clothing, then I suggest that you really examine the difference between your wants and your needs. Our subscriptions, our runs to Starbucks, those things are not needs. We have other things. You can have a spending freeze. This is something that some friends of mine do. They have a spending freeze. They set a time, a week, a month. We're not spending anything. We're not going out to eat. We're cooking at home. We're having one night a week where we eat tacos. Tacos is good. I have tacos every week. Rice, whatever it is. We're going to have a cheap meal every week. And the rest of the week we'll eat better. All of these ideas to be able to to drop your spending. Sometimes you have to tell your friends, I can't go out. I can't go bowling. I can't go out to eat. I can't. Olive Garden is, man, why'd I drop a name? Um. These restaurants are expensive. So uh, maybe you need to sell something. I have all kinds of of online. Well, our our youngest is 16. So we've had so many clothes that we've sold, so many toys that we've sold. We need to unsubscribe to something. Maybe that's too committed. Maybe you can pause the subscription for a time. Buy in bulk, especially during a sale. Buy in bulk. Freeze something. Think about this question. What will your future self say about what you're looking to buy? Will the 14 year from now you be happy about what you're buying? Are you buying a depreciating asset that will be worth nothing? Is it worth it? Have you thought about it? Amen. So now that everyone has information overload, I've successfully hit the one hour mark. I'll close with this. I always keep a few copies of the Total Money Makeover book, the Dave Ramsey book, in my office at home to lend out. I lend them out for 30 days because if you don't read it in 30 days, you're not going to read it. So I have three copies here. If anyone's interested, come up after service and, and you can have one of those. If you need help setting up a budget, I'm glad to help you. We have others in the church as well that do this kind of thing that can help you. I also recommend checking out the different Ramsey podcast, network, YouTube channels, all those things. 
They have so many topics, money, paying for college, how to get a job you love, mental health. Ramsey, really, if you haven't paid attention to them in the last few years, has really exploded with different things. It's not just Dave sitting there talking all the time now. Amen? We're done here. You want to stand? I'll pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the principles that you've not left us without instruction for our lives. You've not left us just having to figure it out all on our own. But, God, your word has spoken to us in so many areas of our life. I thank you, God, for the insight that you've given. I pray, God, that you would bless the people, that you would help them to take these things, to implement them in their lives, not for our own purposes, but, God, that we can bless your kingdom. Because I don't want my pastor to lose sleep about giving. Because I don't want him to worry, Lord. I pray, God, that you would bless this church and that you would help us to have open hands. That you would help us, God, to see that it's not just for us. And if it weren't for you, we wouldn't have the ability to do any of these things anyway, God. I pray that you would bless our finances, bless our families, and help us to be good stewards of what you've given to us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.